Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest episode of the Quartalinish Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Zach Lowy, here today with a special guest, Duarte Montero, journalist from Zero Zero uh, and Eleven Sports. How are you doing today, Duarte? Hi, Zach. I'm great. And first of all, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking about Portuguese football. Absolutely. Yeah, I really wanted to have you on because there is a ton to discuss uh, from the week's action. And uh, I want to start off by uh, taking a look at, at, at the weekend's action. Obviously, this is following up uh, the Tassa de Tasa de Portugal semifinals of the second leg. Uh, we saw Porto beating Sporting mm-hmm. um, and sealing their passage to the final in Jamor, where they will be playing uh, Tondela, who yes. managed to advance against um, against Mafra. So a bit interesting. You've got a Porto side that uh, up until yesterday was on a 58-game invincible run. Uh, the longest streak in Europe's top six leagues, tied uh, with Fabio Capello's Milan. Uh, they won't break their record, but they will. They they have already tied it. So you know, hats off to them and hats off to Braga for ending that streak. We'll talk about that later. But uh, overall, what what do you make of the toss of the Portugal final? Potentially uh, a potentially a match between. Uh, the first place and the bottom place team in Portugal? Yes, definitely. Um, it's not common, not at all, that I would say a team out of the top five in Portugal, I include Vitoria Guimarães in the top five, reaches the, the final of the cup. And Tondela uh, is an absolute surprise, we have to say, because if we look at the league table, and what they have done, at the, and what they have been through uh, through the last uh, through the last year, it's it's absolutely fantastic that Tondela is in the final. Of course, they were a little bit lucky with um, with the draw, with the possibility of playing against uh, Mapra, which is a second league team. But uh, that doesn't uh, doesn't uh, retires, I would say, or, or uh, levels down the, um, the perfect thing that is for Tondela to play. To play a final against, I we can talk about it later. The possible next Portuguese champion, Porto. Um, of course, it's a David against Goliath situation. Absolutely, Tondela will have some struggles to to stay in the first league. Um, and to be honest, I, I think they will put all their efforts in the next weeks in trying to stay in the, in the, in the top line of the Portuguese uh, football. And they will not focus that much on the dream that will be the 22nd of May in the stadium, the national stadium, Jamor. So it's going to be for Tondela a win-win situation. Um, they already won by being in the final. For Porto, it's going to be maybe I would say uh, mostly the, the the chance to um, to win two major titles in Portugal. So it's going to be a very interesting game because, like I said, Tondela has nothing to lose. If they manage to stay in the first league in the in the, in the Primeira Liga, uh, it's going to be even better for them to play that final. So I think in that final, Porto is the one that has everything to lose and Tondela nothing to lose. So it's going to be def- definitely interesting. Definitely very interesting. I, I do think 
it'll be interesting to see what happens, especially if Tondela do go down. They are currently, um, I believe, level with Morenz and yes. in the relegation playoffs, as well as a point above uh, Belenenc Saad and uh, a point below Aroca. Exactly. Uh, and Aroca kicked off the league's action uh, by taking on Vizela mm-hmm. um, in, in Vizela. So a matchup between two uh, newly promoted sides uh, that saw a total of 30 shots. Uh, so pretty fun, entertaining game. Uh, mm-hmm. Interesting fact for you, uh, Guilherme Chetin Guimaraes, a player, Brazilian forward, currently on loan from Braga. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has scored nine goals, eight, eight goals in the league, nine goals in all competitions since joining uh, Vizela on loan. Four of them have come against Aroca. So since joining <laughs> Vizela, uh, 50% of Guilherme Chetin's goals have come against that one opponent, Aroca. And it was a very big win for Vizela, winning 2-1 to one, uh, thanks to a brace from the Brazilian forward. And it means that with three games left, uh, Vizela currently uh, sit six points above Morenz and Tondela. Um, and so they look obviously not guaranteed it yet, but, but pretty, pretty close to yeah. guaranteeing. Uh, safety. What do we make of this first uh, first campaign in the Primera for Vizela since 1984? You know, what do we make of it? First of all, um, of course, if if we look uh, at the table, we're gonna see Gil Vicente in fifth, with which is, in my opinion, the big sensation this year. Um, but I have to say, I'm a big, big fan of Vizela, and I'm a big, big fan of the coach Alvaro Pacheco which is kind of a character. Um, the ones that don't know him, just Google Alvaro Pacheco, you're going to see him with his head. It's, it's a very, very peculiar character, but also very, very good coach. And um, that Vizela now is not safe, like you said, of course, but they will most guaranteed stay in the first league. It's just, um, it's, it's, it's just fair, uh, I have to say, because... Vizela played from the beginning of the season as a newly promoted, coming back to the first league a lot of years uh, after the last the last one. They played always like a, a very interesting, um, offensive, positive football, I have to say. And um, they lost a lot of games at the beginning of the season because they played like that. So they weren't afraid to play against uh, Braga, Benfica, Sporting Porto, whatever. They always had their own uh, philosophy. They always wanted to play for the three points. And of course, if you're not that experienced, if you're um, newly promoted, you have to learn some things in the, in, the, in the top part of the Portuguese football. They lost a lot of games because of their, yeah, I wouldn't say... Um, lack of experience, but but uh, they they just wanted to win every game, so they had on the one side no points after a, f- a few games or uh, very less points, but they played a very very beautiful and, and interesting football, and that was a thing that on the one side we journalists and and the fans and also the opponents 
talked a lot um, over the first few few games of the season because they uh, they played a very very nice game. So they paid a little bit for that at the beginning, but now with a little bit more of experience, of course, the season is getting to an end. The player the players know the team, know the mentality of Alvaro Pacheco much better than at the beginning. So they are where they should be, to be honest. And I think every Portuguese uh, football fan uh, will tell you the same. Everyone likes Vizela because as a small team, um, they always wanted to win every game. And that is not something common in Portugal. If we see what uh, uh, Famalicão did this weekend against Benfica, um, of course, they need points. They are not at all safe. Um, they play very defensively. So a lot of teams do that in Portugal when they play against the big three, maybe against Praia also. And Vizela was never a team like that. And I think they deserve what they have now. It was a major win, like you said, against the Roca because it's a direct opponent. Um, so they, they deserve the, the place they are, they are currently. And um, hopefully, and I'm pretty sure because the points are quite okay at this point that they will stay in the first league. So hands up for Vizela because of their mentality, because of the football they played. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to see them next year with even more experience with all they learned this year, because I think they can make or play an even more uh, satisfying season after after this year, absolutely. Storiel have st have sealed uh, their safety. Vizela have all but sealed it. Uh, Aroca, the other promoted side, still have a bit of work to be done. Three games left. Uh, they are a point above the relegation zone, and uh, they have some intriguing three final matchups hosting Portimonense. Uh, going to Braga before hosting Belenenshad in what will be a phenomenal and a very exciting uh, relegation six-pointer on the final day of the season. Curious, how, how have you measured uh, Aroca's progress this season under Armando Evangelista? Do you think they're going to be able to get uh, a win in this uh, upcoming match against Paulo Sergio's Portimonense? Uh, I have to say, Aruca is, um, is a quite, yeah, I wouldn't say weird team, but it, it's it's uh, a team that is dif difficult to, to read and to understand uh, on which point and which level they are. Uh, I will be in, in Aruca next Saturday, very important game for them, but I think they are a little bit happy that Portimonense won against Morenense, um, last weekend, because Portimonense is also saved now, so they don't have that pressure. Um, Aroca is that kind of team, in my opinion, that is always good for a surprise. They are, they, of, of course, they, they, they are not the best team in Portugal, not at all. They have a few um, players that, uh, in my opinion, doesn't guarantee the quality a team in the first league needs, but on the other side, they have uh, players like um, Andre Bukia, like uh, Andre Silva, uh, David Simão, um, a few more that are very, very good and very experienced players. So they are always good to, um, to get the three points against opponents like Portimonense or Belenense Sad in the last, in the last round, which uh, will, in my opinion, be a very decisive game. 
um, because I don't know what Aroca can do. That is that is uh, my honest uh, opinion because I did a lot of games of Aroca this year. Um, they they didn't stabilize like a a, a, a system of playing Armando Evangelista. Uh, of course, he realized where the problems were, so he was like spending almost the entire season trying to figure out the best system, the best players. Um, they changed a few players over over the season, so always trying to to get this uh, this team that would guarantee them points after points in the league. They didn't make it. Um, it's difficult. I, if I had to say, looking to the table right now, without looking back uh, at this season, I would say uh, Aroca would definitely go down. But right now, seeing Morirense, not not easy. Sapinto. It looked like he would be able to get them out, but now I'm not so sure anymore. Um, I think Aroca will win against Portimonense, I think. Uh, and then it all depends on the last two games, because I don't know if you want to, if you want to talk about Belenense Sad, but for me, Belenense Sad is, is the biggest uh, question mark in, in this season, because they looked like they were completely down. They had no chance. Uh, I'm sure you remember that yeah, outrageous, scandalous game against Benfica uh, in Jamor. So after that, I think everyone thought this will be the end, not only of Belenenses Sad in this season, but of Belenenses Sad as a team, because they have a very uh, unique story behind. They se separated from the real Belenenses. So it looked for a long time that Belenenses would uh, would be one of the two that would be go down directly. Right now, I'm not so sure anymore. So it's going to be very interesting, I would say, um, from Family Count down. So Family Count, Aroca, Morenense, Tondela, and Belenenses, all of them, all of them can actually um, find, um, find themselves in the, in the relegation places in the, in, the last, in the last round. So it's going to be very dramatic, I would say. Arauca currently a point above Morenense and Tondela, as well as two points above Belenensad, making for an absolutely fascinating uh, end to the season in this relegation fight. And Portimonense taking on Morenense and securing their status in the top flight with a one nothing victory. Uh, to understand the importance of this victory, I think we need to go back just... Mm -hmm. Uh, go back, you know, a week prior. Um, yeah. uh lost 7 nothing to Porto. And looking at the lineup, uh, I was fairly shocked at first uh, <laughs> because Paulo Sergio played an incredibly rotated uh, team. Uh, it should be noted that he was missing a few players due to suspensions such as uh, Shoya Nakajima um, and... A know, lot, a lot of them, yeah. A, a lot of players. And uh, he also had various players who were on the verge of suspension. If they were to pick up a yellow, uh, would be suspended for the following match against Morenense. He chose not to risk that. He chose to play essentially his B-team uh, a heavily rotated side. I, I would I would say even his C team or D team, to be honest. Yes, exactly. <laughs> C team or D team, fair enough. But so so he was accused of 
you know, all kinds of things being corrupt yeah. and collaborating with Porta, which I think is just, for me, it's just typical Portuguese mentality. You know, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lose three players and decide to give up against Porto. And you think that says more about some ridiculous conspiracy than it does the fact that, you know, there is such a massive gap between Porto, Benfica, and Sporting and the rest of the teams. Uh, so just absolutely ridiculous. And uh, despite these ridiculous uh, criticisms and assumptions, uh, Porto Monench brushed off themselves after that 7-0 defeat and defeated Morenets and secured their status. So, you know, you don't get points. You don't get extra points for for, for beating Porto versus beating Morenets, okay? Uh, all that matters is getting three points. And the fact is, uh, Porto Monenche took on a Morenets side who are fighting for their lives, who are, you know, tr- doing everything they can to stay up. And uh, Paulo Sergio made an assumption that getting three points at, uh, uh, you know, at home against Morenense would be a lot easier than uh, taking on Porto at the Estadio Dergao and getting three points. And frankly, he was right, okay? Uh, Porto Manch getting a win, securing their top, their, their top flight status, and shall I say, the, the one of the players who scored the goals, Wellington Jr., he scored the goal the week prior uh, to the Porto game. They scored uh, to lead uh, Porto Manch to their first win of the year against Malikau. He, I believe, was rested as well to, as, as he, uh, if, if he were to pick up a yellow, he would have been suspended. Um, so he was at risk and he scored the goal to give Porto Manch once again a one nothing victory. Uh, Samuel Portugal as well, another player, perhaps one of the most yeah. underrated goalkeepers in the league, he was rested in the Porto game. He delivered a phenomenal performance between the sticks, and he will be suspended uh, for the Arauca match. Uh, so overall, I think a lot of people owe Paulo Sergio an apology. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I would say I would say the same. And like you said, the game against Moreirense um, told everyone that Paulo Sergio was right. Um, and as you also said, and I couldn't agree more. Um, this is Portuguese football, unfortunately, and uh, I'm not at all a fan of the way the fans and uh, even the media and uh, and all the people that uh, uh, deal directly or, or not directly with the Portuguese football um, treat the, the game. And what happened to Paulo Sergio after that game was just absurd and unfortunately, again, um, the worst image of of Portuguese football because if if Portimonense had lose one zero or whatever, no one would talk about that. They would actually say, "Look at that with the C team or D team, they they fight well and whatever." So the problem there was the seven goals, and suddenly all of the worst that exists in Portuguese football came up. And and they accused him and um, accused him of, of giving up the game before it started and because the president of Portimonense has good relationships with Porto, of course it was it was everything done before the game and whatever blah blah blah. This is Portuguese football in its worst and it happens all the time. And I have to say, Paulo Sergio was not the first coach 
doing that. Um, one coach that I appreciate a lot and is doing an amazing, a phenomenal job at Boavista Petit, he did that before the games against Benfica and Sporting. Um, and no one actually criticized him for that. And he was open about that. He said, no, I have players at risk. This is a game that we, well, <laughs> it's difficult for us to win or to get points. Um, so I will rest them for the for the like finals that we have. So he did that before. And, and no one criticized him. And uh, with Paulo Sergio, it was just outrageous because they lost 7-0. So, um, but at the end, Paulo Sergio was, of course, not amused. He actually used the press conference, uh, press conference before the game against Morenza to be, well, let's say, very, very harsh on the, critical, on the critics because he, he, of course, defended himself. And the game against Morenza told everyone that he was right. He won, he made it, he will stay one year more in the Primera Liga and, and life goes on. But uh, again, I think in Portugal, the level of suspicion of, uh, yeah, of, 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 how can I say it, of um, bad habits is so big that things like that can't just happen normally and everyone moves on. So it was, it was another, yeah, black chapter in Portuguese football. But at the end, like I said, Paulo Sergio and Portimonense can just look back and, and, and think we did everything right. Okay, we lost the game in Porto. They would probably lose that game anyway, but we won the game that actually matters. So there's not much to say actually um, for people that um, look at, at football and look at, at what it means to get points in this uh, season and, and in this moment. Uh, but of course, uh, again, there is such a culture in Portugal that such things will always feed the fans and the media. It's been a very interesting season for Portimonense. Uh, they sold their top scorer, Beto, on deadline day of the summer transfer window. They did not sign a replacement. Uh, they beat Benfica at the Estadio de Luz for the first time in club history, ended Benfica's unbeaten start to the season. Uh, in January, they ended up selling veteran winger Ailton Boamort as well as star left-back Fali Kande. Recently, I uh, have sold veteran center-back Lucas Posignolo to a Chinese club, as well as loaning out uh, Brazilian midfielder Lucas Fernandes. When you look at the departures, uh, when you look at just how much this squad has been decimated by key departures, I think that, no, you know, I think that Portimonense have been perhaps the club that has fallen off the most after a bright start of the season. But at the end of the day, Safety is the only goal that they can really aspire to. Uh, where do Portimonense go from here? Yeah, it's always difficult to say. Um, I wouldn't say there is much more in it than playing for what they are playing this year. I mean, they are 11th right now. I think this is all, of course, if we look at the beginning of the season, um, fun fact, they had, if I'm, if I'm not wrong or mistaken, they had more points playing away uh, comparing to their home games uh, almost uh, until the mid of the season or something. So teams like Portimonense are always very difficult to read because it, it depends on a major, uh, on, on a lot of, of factors that, that can 
that can bring a season to to one one point or another. Uh, but if we look at the project Portimonense, uh, um, how they work, there is not much more in it like like playing for for this. And I think they are also very very open for that. Um, Paulo Sergio, like you said, did an amazing job by restructuring the team every time key players left. But that's not always with Portimonense. Um, Boa Vista, Boa Vista has the same has the same problems. If we if we look back. Uh, at, uh, at, at the squad of Boa Vista last year, they, they lost a lot of, of important players and they had to, 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 I wouldn't say start from, from scratch, but almost. So what you said about Portimonense is actually the life of almost every club in Portugal, um, because Benfica Portland Sporting also on another level, of course. Um, but yes, I couldn't agree more with uh, with what you said about Portimonense. If we look back, they, they, lo- they lost all the players you said. Uh, Beto was was last season phenomenal, um, and he's proving that in Italy. So again, I I have to 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 congratulate Paulo Sergio because Paulo Sergio is a very underrated coach in Portugal, to be honest, um, and he's doing a great a great job. So Portimonense is where. They can be if if we look to all, to all that circumstances, but I don't think they they can go much further than this unless one day they decide to to keep the team to to invest a little bit more. But Portimonense is a team that 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 exists for finding players for maybe sell the one or two players that that will guarantee them like financial. Uh, uh, sustainability. So um, it's very difficult for a few teams. I would I would put alongside Portimonense teams like Famalicão, like uh, Santa Clara, which uh, played a phenomenal season last year. Uh, they they started very well this year, but then Daniel Ramos um, went uh, went went uh, went away. They they sell a lot of uh, important players. So. There are from the 18 teams that play in the, in the major Portuguese league. I would say 11, 12 of them have the problem Portimonense has. So it's very difficult for them. So you have teams like Santa Clara who play international, and then the season after they they are somewhere in the middle of the table. You have teams like Gil Vicente who, in a normal situation, play against relegation, and this year they will play internationally or next year because they will end fifth or sixth. Let's see. Last last game is is against Vitoria Guimarães, so let's see how that goes. But um, from the four five big teams in Portugal, it's always very unpredictable what can happen below that because every team has a good season, then the other one has a bad season. Famalicão, I don't know if you remember when Famalicão played their first season in the in the first league three years ago or four. Don't remember exactly. Um, they played phenomenal. They were on the edge of going straight from second division to international competitions. They failed that uh, on the last on the last uh, game of the season, and after that, Famalicão is struggling every year to stay in the first league. So Portimonense and a lot of other teams have to live with that. They have to find every every year new solutions and make the best out of it. So it's difficult for a team like Portimonense. To, to go further, to, to end higher in the in the table because they don't have the material for that. Portimonense uh, will be staying up this year. Mororense, on the other hand, are still fighting for their lives and will be taking on Boavista at the weekend. 
Uh, curious, where do you see that game going? In a normal situation, I would say I would say Boavista is in a better shape right now. But after yesterday, not because they lost against uh, against Sporting, because that is a normal result, I would say. But but he was not happy at all with 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 some of the players. Uh, apparently, they. They didn't give everything they could, and but he was very harsh on them after the game. He said, "We we need to um, re reevaluate our squad for next year because some players don't fit for Boavista because they they need to know they have to give everything to play for this club. So it's not an easy situation. Boavista, of course, the points are not 100% yet, but they will also stay. Uh, and Morerense, it's a little bit like Aroca, I would say." They are very difficult. It's very difficult to understand what can come from Morenense because they had some very nice games this year. But then on the other side, you see them and they lose and they lose and you find them on on, on relegation uh, spots. So, but I would say I would say Morenense has has the stuff, has the team to stay in the first division. The big question here, Morenense, is a uh, is. It's a very small club, of course, from a very small village in Portugal. And I was uh, talking to some colleagues last week, and some of them who follow Smorens a little bit closer uh, were saying that the president, that the president, which is a character that is president president of Morense for a long time, uh, with the exception of one year where it was president of Vitória de Guimarães. Uh, they say that he's a little bit disappointed and maybe could uh, leave the, um, the, his place as president. And that would be a major hit for Morenense. And that could be important for the rest of this season. So um, it's a team that lives between the edge, I would say. They have the potential. They have the players. They have the experience because Morenense is by now a team that are used to playing first league. Um, so I would say playing at home against Boavista, that they need to win that game. And I think they can win that game. So if I had to bet, I would bet on Morenense for the next weekend. Um, and I would bet also for Morenense to stay in the first league. But again, it's a team that is always good for a surprise, for a good one and a bad one. A lot of surprises this weekend. And the first big one, I would say, was Benfica going up against Famalico. Uh, and Benfica obviously coming off their best league result of the season when they defeated Sporting 2-0 at the Estadio José Alvalade. Uh, so a lot of high expectations on them to follow up that win and, and really make a uh, concerted effort for that second place. But they failed to do so. They ended up drawing 0-0 at the Estadio de Luz. Uh, despite having 25 shots to Famalicao's four. Uh, overall, I think uh, we've seen quite a few examples of Benfica, you know, failing to break down these deep blocks. Teams that sit back saw that with Vizela a few uh, weeks ago. We saw that with Portimonense back in October. Um, yeah. What did you make of this game? Well, it's uh, it's it was a strange game uh, because um, the feeling that I had and a lot of us had the first half of Benfica was miserable. Uh, we have to say it like that. Benfica had, it, it, it was not uh, even, uh, um, we, we didn't even saw them 
creating big chances, which was different in the second part. But like you said, uh, there was still this, um, well, this hope that Benfica could actually um, make it to second after winning in, in Alvalade against, um, against Sporting. But you said something very interesting, and um, which is absolutely true, and I would link it to another thing. Uh, Benfica had this year a lot of troubles, a lot of troubles playing against teams that were defending very, very deep on uh, very defensively. And on the other side, the, the games that Benfica had their best moments were against actually uh, teams like Sporting, teams like Ajax, even against Liverpool in the Champions League where Benfica didn't have to make the game, to be the dominant team. So Benfica, in Portugal, we actually say Benfica played like a small team this year and that was the moment when they played their best football because they they didn't have to 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 find the solutions to make the game. So they just were waiting defensively and then um, major counterattacks. And that's how they won against Sporting. That's how they beat Ajax in the Champions League. That's how they have they had their best moments. So when you look back at the league, starting from this 0-0 against Famalicão, you're going to see games um, of Benfica against these kind of teams that, that showed that Benfica were missing a lot of things in their games. And Benfica was never a dominant team this year, which is something that you need to be in Portuguese football if you want to be champion at the end of the year. And Benfica wasn't. Benfica had games against Famalicão, against Portimonense, on the other side, they had games like uh, against Boavista uh, in the city of Porto, where they had a very good start. They were 2-0 um, winning, and then suddenly, the second half, they completely disappear and are completely dominated by Boavista and lose two points. Um, you had the game against uh, uh, Sturil um, away, where Benfica conceded a late goal. Um, so against these teams, Benfica just lost too much points because Benfica couldn't be dominant against that team. Okay, if you look the second part against Famalicão, you're going to see Benfica having the ball, creating some creating some chances, yes, but that is not enough. If you look back, it was there were just too many games for Benfica, uh, like the ones against uh, against Famalicão, and at the end of the of the season, you pay that. Um, there was just one team this season that were, in my opinion. Uh, or where Benfica couldn't play the game, they liked it. It was it was against Porto, the two games Benfica had against Porto uh, at the end of the year uh, in December or January. Can can uh, remember quite well if it was December or January. But these two games, uh, Benfica couldn't even do that that they liked it because Porto was just too good for them. So it was uh, a disaster, a major disaster for Benfica again after last season. Uh, last season was already very very bad. Uh, this season, okay, you have that. You have the Champions League, which of course um, gave the team, gave the fans some some brilliant moments. But overall, if you if you see what Benfica invested in the last two years, you can't you can't be on the 31st game of the season uh, and being I don't know 14 points behind Porto. So what happened against Famalicão was not. Um, one in a lifetime game. It was actually more, just one of a few games in this in this season. And also at the Stade de Luz, Benfica couldn't even be dominant at the Stade de Luz in a lot of games this year. And that explains why Benfica will end third, 
with a lot of a lot of points behind of Porto and um, and also Sporting because I don't believe Benfica will get closer to Sporting until the, the end of the of the season. Yeah, Famalicão uh, currently four points above relegation. They uh, look likely to finish above the drop, but they are not. Uh, out of the woods just yet, despite drawing back-to-back games against Benfica and Gil Vicente. Um, curious, where do you see their upcoming match against Estoril Praia going? Because Estoril are going to be missing some key players, such as Andre Franco and uh, José Lorenz. Um, do you think yeah. they'll have enough to get a much-needed win here? I think so, yes. I think so because um, a little bit like uh, like Vizela, like I told you at the beginning of our conversation, Famalicão has uh, probably one of the most interesting teams of the of the ones that are that are fighting for survival right now. And for me, to be honest, it's kind of surprising that Famalicão is having such such troubles to to guarantee their 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 place in the first league. Because if if we look at at the team, you have. You have like a nice mix of uh, of young and experienced players. Um, they had like a major, major signing, uh, like João Carlos Teixeira, which is a phenomenal player in my opinion, one of the best players in Portugal. He wasn't that lucky in Porto. He wasn't that lucky at Feyenoord. But for for teams like Famalicão, you you see the difference uh, with João Carlos Teixeira. Uh, but not not only him. I I think they made with Charles Pickle that came from Switzerland a very very nice player. Um, you have you have players like Ivo Rodrigues, like Simon Banza, which which came came with with a lot of goals and 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 leave their mark already. So you have Periberto Tavares, uh, Bruno Rodrigues. So it's it's actually a squad with a lot of potential, to be honest. Pepe Rodrigues, one of one of the good midfielders in Portugal. So it's surprising for me that they struggle. Um, almost year after year, after that first sensational year, um, for me it's a surprise that they are struggling this year because they have the potential, they have the players, they have the quality, they play good football, uh, but they feel a little bit like like Vizela sometimes to to get to to close the games, to get the points, and uh, and of course after that you find yourself in this uh, in this fight for survival. But um, looking at at, at Storil, Storil was at, at at the first time um, at the first moment of the season one of the good teams, very good teams. Um, they were a long time, I think, on, uh, on fifth place. Um, in this second part of the season, they they lost a little bit that enthusiasm. So, but but they they are safe. They will they will miss some of the key players, like you said. So. I think Famalicão is going is going to have the the much needed points, the three points, this this weekend because they are they are a good team. They are definitely a good team. I don't even think they are worse than uh, than Estoril in, in in on the paper. So I think in this moment they will realize what uh, what is needed. They they have a good coach. I think Pedro Silva is uh, is, is is a good coach. Um, but they need they they need to get more of of their own game. Uh, I think that's about Famalicão. That that what describes Famalicão the best. They they need to get more from what they created every game. So um, I think Famalicão will will stay in the first league, and um, and I think they will start 
securing that by winning against Estoril, to be very honest. Really excited to see what happens with that. Uh, Benfica will be taking on Marichimo. Uh, interesting, the, the first, the, the, the best moment of Marichimo's season really came right after Vasco Stiabra's uh, yeah. appointment in November, uh, taking charge of the club and uh, replacing Julio Velazquez. And it saw a honeymoon that saw Marichimo uh, defeat Santa Clara 4-1, uh, as well as losing to Benfica so 7-1. Um, I do think that it will be a closer match this time. I think that this Marichimo side is better than it was at that point, uh, despite the fact that maybe the results haven't gone their way. They have been getting, uh, the past two weeks have seen them pick up a 4 nothing win against Boavista, as well as climbing back from a two-goal deficit and drawing 2-2 two to two against Santa Clara in the Azores. Uh, Kayosuke Tagawa putting the Azorians up uh, with a first-half brace, and yet Marichimo snatching a draw thanks to late goals from Ali Alipur and Claudio Wink. Um, I, you know, I'm curious, where do you see this game going, and how? what have you made of Vasco Siabra's job at Marichmo so far? Vasco Siabra, I have to say, is for me, together with Ricardo Suarez from, from Gil Vicente, probably the two most underrated coaches in Portuguese football. Um, Vasco, Vasco Siabra, he has, he has this kind of, of character that, that seems fragile. He, he's not a very good communicator, and I think he's paying a lot um, these extra uh, football things when when uh, when his teams are not winning because if we look honestly to his jobs everywhere Vasco Siabra has a very positive idea of football um i think what he did in Pasos was was very good and now what he's doing at um, at Maritimo just justifies that Maritimo is not an easy team in Portugal we we need to say that Maritimo is um, is always a team that is fighting against their own expectations, I would say, because they they are an historical club in Portugal. They they have a few good moments in their history, uh, but this island flair gives gives Maritimo always like high expectations for playing for European places, and um, most of the time it, uh, it it never reached that. But with Vasco Siabra, he made up he, he made it to pick up a team or a, not a team, but players that were not even exceptional players. If you look, if you look at Maritimo, the, the squad is, uh, is not except, exceptional, not at all. Um, and suddenly he made a team out of that. And he was actually a few uh, games ago, uh, quite close to European places. Um, and um, he left about that when, when we talked about him, about about dreaming about Europe, and and he just left because he knew what kind of of squad he picked up, and what kind of job he had to do. So um, I, I have to say I'm very happy for Vasco Siabra because I think he deserves what what is happening to him um, right now because it's, it's, he has a very interesting idea of football, a little bit like Alvaro Pacheco from Vizela, like I told you at the beginning. Um, he's not one of these coaches that uh, face stronger teams and think, okay, let's uh, play for the draw, let's get the point. That's why he lost 7-1 at, at Benfica, for instance. 
because he also like a lot of uh, uh, like Alvaro Pacheco. He, he plays every game to win. Uh, Porto struggles uh, a lot, struggled a lot against Maritimo this year. Uh, he couldn't win at, at, at Madeira. Uh, just to give you an example, so I think it's not it's it's not ending like the first game, uh, like like the seven one in Mestalla da Luz. It's going to be it's going to be a completely different game. Also because uh, because Benfica has nothing nothing to win or to lose anymore. To be honest, I don't think Benfica right now is an opponent that um, that actually any team in Portugal has to be really afraid of because it it has nothing to do with the quality of the team, of course. But I think their heads are somewhere else right now so starting from that i think i think it's going to be a completely different game and um, and maritimo is a team right now that is always good for three points and i wouldn't be surprised to be honest if they if they could win against against benfica because they are right now a good team they have a really good coach so i think i think we can we can we can expect a, a very interesting game very positive game from maritimo and again, I wouldn't be surprised if they take points from Benfica.